Well, what we're going to take a look at today is Jesus' first miracle, when he actually turned water to wine. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to John 2, um, chapter, John chapter 2, verse 1. And if you don't have it, it should be um, up here right now. But remember that sometimes you have to run out of wine to see God work in your life. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, you know, when we go to a wedding, it's usually mainly a day event. For the, for the bridal party, it's a day event. For most of us, it's about a maybe two, three, four-hour event. But weddings back there were different. They were a huge deal. What would happen is when the um, wedding started, the uh, father would parade the bride down the streets of the town. And they would take the longest route so everyone could see the bride coming down. And they would congratulate her. Then she would end up at the groom's house. And they normally had the ceremony and the party in front of the groom's house. But as soon as the party, the ceremony was over, then the bride and the groom, once again, they paraded around the village so everybody could see them and congratulate them. And when they came back, that's when the party started. Okay, now, you know, our banquets last for, what, maybe three hours or so. But back then, their wedding celebrations and party lasted for a week. It was a long time, what, just a week of nonstop celebrating and partying. And so weddings were a really big uh, deal back then. And so we see that um, Jesus and his disciples and his mother was, you know, at this wedding. Big deal. And then um, in the next verse, in verse 3, it says, "Um, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, we don't know whose wedding this was or how Mary was involved in this wedding, but we know that she had a role to play because she was overseeing maybe the provisions or something. So she had a role um, in organizing, you know, this wedding. And one of the things she noticed, that the wine ran out. Now, it was a huge, huge social embarrassment if you ran out of food, you know, or if you ran out of wine. So much so that if you ran out of food or wine and it angered some of the guests, they could actually bring a lawsuit against you for running out of provisions. And so that's how bad this was or as far as a mistake this was of running out of stuff. And so... Um, when you take a look at the wine, even the wine, you know, that was important. And one of the things I want to talk about the wine, the wine wasn't as strong as it was today, okay? It's not nearly as strong as it was today. Because you figure if you're partying for a week and drinking a lot of wine, that a lot of people would get inebriated and drunk. But even back then, um, um, they viewed drinking as social, where, no, where people didn't get drunk, Okay, and only barbarians would get drunk. So it wasn't like this was a party where everybody was getting drunk. But Mary noticed that the wine was running out, and she started to panic about this. And so um, when she said to Jesus, hey, we have no more wine, she wasn't telling Jesus, like, Jesus, did you know there's no more wine? 
Kind of like sometimes when we're at the house and our spouse says, you know, the, the trash can's full. You know, when we hear the word, husbands, right, the trash can's full, it's not just saying, oh, did you notice the trash can's full? And I would respond, oh, yeah, it does look full. Thank you for letting me know. That's not what Mary was saying, right? So when I'm at home and I hear, the tr- or when Michael hears the trash can is full, what does that mean? Take out the trash, right? And so when <coughs> Mary was probably frantic at this point. So when she was telling um, Jesus that there's running out of wine, she wasn't just saying, oh, Jesus, did you know that we're running out of wine? She was saying, Jesus, do something about this. You know, and I don't know a whole lot about wine because I don't drink wine and just because I don't like the taste of it. But I was kind of doing the calculating based upon what I saw in the scripture. So if Jesus had to fill the amount of jars of wine, uh, water he had with wine, that would have cost about $18,000 in today's dollars. Just for wine. $18,000. So I know she wasn't saying, Jesus, you know, you got $18,000, go down to Bevmo and, and get some more <laughs> wine. We need wine. She said, you're the Messiah. Do something. Do something. She was crying out to Jesus. She was crying out to Jesus. She was in a spot where she didn't know what to do, and she was desperate. You know, it was her responsibility to make sure the provisions were there, and this would have been a really bad social gaffe for the bride and the groom if they ran out of wine. You know, mothers, you might be there right now where you're just frantic, you know, and, and because you're the scheduler of your family's events. You're the ones that provide dinner. You keep the house in order. You know, many of you, many of you are working. You know, some of you are even having to take care of your parents or chauffeuring your kids to the endless events that they have. And you're tired and you're frantic. And you're asking, God, can't you do something? You know, that's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus understood what his mother was saying. Jesus understood the situation that his mother was in. And it took that for her to cry out to her son to help her. And once again, sometimes we have to run out of wine in order to ask God to see God work. You know, in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, the Apostle Paul says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power might rest in me. And what Paul is saying, that I boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness, because when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm weak, this is when I rely on God. You know, when Mary was put in this, you know, really difficult situation where she was frantic, it took that for her to, really, to reach out to her son for help. Because a lot of time, isn't God the last place we look when we're um, going through a struggle? You know, for those of you who know, um, I'm due to go on a sabbatical um, in July and August. But probably what you don't know is for the past five months, I've just been totally exhausted. You know, not, nothing left in the tank. You know, when it came to think about ministry, I, I, I just didn't have any um, strength to even think about ministry. I was just tired. And when I was telling people I was tired, I was tired about 90% of the time. And uh, it's those times when you're calling, God, did you really call me for this? 
to this, can I handle it? You know, I'm not sure I could do this. Um, and of course, I was kind of getting irritable, irritable. And you could just ask my wife and <laughs> Michael about that. But, you know, this past several weeks, it was just, have you ever seen your gas tank and it's on empty? And then you're going, oh, I wonder how far I could go <laughs> on empty before the car goes, and you're out of gas. Well, that's where I was. It was on empty, and I was just wondering, God, how much can I go, how much further can I go before I'm completely out of gas? It's like, okay, the gas station is a sabbatical. So if I'm going to have to get out of my car and push it to that sabbatical, I'm going to do that. And so um, I have these prayer partners that I met up at family camp, and I was just emailing them, you know, my situation. And just saying, you know, I'm totally, you know, I've got nothing left in the tank. I've got nothing to give to the church. Um, I'm just looking forward to sabbatical, and maybe that could, you know, replenish my batteries. And um, this Friday, this past Friday, they said, we want to come over and pray for you. And, you know, at that time, I was over at, you know, Gabrielino High School with Kiki, you know, serving lunch, and I was really tired, and I was looking at my watch, and I was like, okay, well, then I got to go, gosh, I got to take Michael to a haircut. How are we going to, you know, fit this in? Um, and it started to rain, and I said, you know, you want to schedule another time? And they said, no, we really feel that we need to come over and pray for you. And then I said, okay. And, and to say that, you know, as I was tired, you know, I had this dream. And I'm not going to go into this dream about maybe several weeks ago. But basically, in the dream, it was I was having a confrontation, you know, with a demon. But in that dream, the demon was winning. It was like, I'm losing. And so... I had that, you know, in my mind, too. And I remember, I don't remember a lot of dreams, but I remember this one. And it was like, evil is getting the upper hand. And what's going on here? And so, um, going that, they came over, and they, they prayed for me. You know, they wanted to pray for me. And so, the first thing I asked them when they came into my office, I go, do you sense evil presence here? <laughs> you know, because I was like, they go, no. And I go, okay, you know. Um, but... You know, I started to talking, and they said, you know, let me pray for you. And these um, people are in a prayer ministry in another church. And as they started to pray for me, they started praying against strongholds in my life. And I just told them I was tired and I was frustrated. But then when she got, she started praying that God would break the stronghold of anger in my life. And as soon as she mentioned anger, I started getting angry. I mean, not, it wasn't, I wasn't angry at them. It was just as this anger was just welling up inside me. It was coming up to the throat. And I was just tense and I was just angry. And then, of course, you know, I've, you know, they've prayed before and I've seen them pray. You know, they actually came here and uh, led a seminar on praying. So they said, you know, so Pastor Dave, uh, what are you feeling? I said, I'm angry. (laughs) You know, I said, I'm feeling angry. I'm not at you guys, but I go, what's going on here? They said, you got that stronghold in your life of anger. And so they started rebuking anger, and they started praying against this stronghold. And, you know, after they prayed, they go, how do you feel? And I go, wow, I feel fine. That, that, that anger was no longer there. And then they go, how else do you feel? And I said, I don't feel tired. I don't feel tired. So what was going on was there was the stronghold of anger 
in my life. That that had to be broken. Now, for those of you who don't know what a stronghold is, is when we sin, and when we continue in sin, we um, open the door for Satan to take um, a hold of a certain part of our life. And in that case, you know, it was anger. And so, as soon as they did that, it was, I told them, I feel light. I feel like, I don't need a sabbatical. And they said, Dave, take a sabbatical. <laughs> I said, trust me, take a sabbatical. But you know, I was released from that. But once again, I had to run out of wine. Where there was nothing in the tank before I experienced the work of God. And, they, and one of the things is, even when I was talking to Pastor Phil, he was saying that he feels that we are being um, attacked by Satan, this church. And one of the things that this couple says is that I sense that God is doing something in this church. And if God is doing something in this church, you, you better be uh, prepared that you're going to get attacked from the enemy. And he goes, he's going to attack you. He's going to come after you. And so after they prayed for me, they prayed a prayer of protection for not only myself, but for my family also. But once again, I had to get to that point of weakness until I was able to see God work. Because I was trying on my own power. And mothers, that's the same thing for you. Right now, you're trying to be superwoman, right? You're trying to do everything. And God bless you for trying, you know. But at one point, at one point, you have to just get to the point where, you know what, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And once you get to that point, that's when you could see God work. Because in verse 5, he says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is, I have to caution you, that when we read Scripture, we can't read it with our cultural lenses. Because when you read it, you know, when I first read this, like, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So when we use woman, it's like more of a derogatory term, right? I mean, if, if I called my wife, hey, woman, you know, I'd be in a lot of trouble, right? And you guys, you'd be the same thing. Because in our culture, it's a derogatory uh, term. But in that culture, it was more of a, a loving term. That he wasn't, you know, you know, trying to be disrespectful in any way to Mary. But he said, my hour has not yet come. And basically, you know, in the message, I love it, it says, Mother, don't push me. Don't push me. I got it. And then his uh, mother's, in um, the next verse, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, a lot of times when we're empty, you know, there's no wine there. We're frantic. We don't know what to do. So we cry out to God. Our response word should be, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And that's what Mary said. You know, she, she was desperate, right? She asked her son, the Messiah, to help her. And then she told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And so for us, you know, God is going to meet your need. But God might ask you, like in my case, he, he, you know, I had to release this anger. I had to ask forgiveness. And we probed it further to try to figure out where this anger was coming from. And so I had to confess that um, anger. But you know what? 
And then we are talking about, well, Dave, you know he's gonna, you know, the enemy is going to try to get you angry. And you need to, every time that happens, you need to stand up and tell him he has no, that anger does not have any power over you. I need to do what God wants me to do. I can't just go back to my old ways. He says, nearby stood six jars, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, and each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet had tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choicest wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And so basically what Jesus does is he tells um, the guys, Look, there's some... Um, jugs of jugs right here that are used for the Jews to wash their hands before they eat. And he told them, fill them all with water. And so they just fill it with water. And then he tells them, okay, take it over to the uh, master of the banquet. And the master of the banquet tasted it, and he is totally amazed. He has no idea where this wine came from. You know, when I was doing my calculations, that was based on, let's say, gift wine that's maybe about $20 a bottle. But man, this guy was tasting wine. I don't know how much expensive wine is. But this was a really, really good stuff. And what he's saying is, you know, this is kind of strange. Because most people, they bring out the good stuff first. And when you, you know, had drank a lot and maybe your your taste buds are dull, that's when you give the cheaper stuff. Because no one, um, it doesn't matter anymore. But what he's saying is, you guys did the opposite. (laughs) Man, you, you saved the best for the last. He saved the best for the last. And what we see here is Jesus just taking the ordinary and he could turn it into the extraordinary. Right? He takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. It wasn't like he said, okay, I want you guys to fill that up with cheap wine and watch what I could do. He didn't say, hey, somebody go out there and get some grapes. Put it in there and watch what I could do. He said, fill it with water. Just fill it with normal H2O. And he turned something wonderful into it. You know, some of you wise might feel like, you know what, I'm nothing special, I'm just ordinary. But in the hands of the master, he could do extraordinary things through you. You might feel like, hey, I'm not this expensive wine, I'm just plain old water. But look what Jesus could do with water. You know, I know some of our parents, you know, we worry about our children. We worry about their future. But you know what? The same applies to them. That God could take something that we might see as ordinary, especially, especially, you know, I know we all fall into this when we start comparisons, right? And when we, we take a look at all of these other children around, wow, they're bound for Harvard. They're bound for an Ivy League school. Or, you know, they did this, they did that. Wow. And then, you know, then we start getting on our kids. Hey, come on, step it up. So-and-so is going here. So-and-so's GPA is this. So-and-so is good at that, right? But we have to remember that what? God takes the ordinary and could turn it into extraordinary. 
God's got a plan for your kids. He really does. He's got an extraordinary plan for your kids. Our job as parents is to help them find that um, gift, to find that path, not to try to steer them into the path that we think they should go, but our job is to guide them on that path that we believe or we see God doing that, doing these works in their life. So God could take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. But you know what? You know, Mary had no idea this was going to happen. She just thought she was in a desperate situation. But she cried out. She goes, we have no more wine. I'm responsible for this. Do something. And Jesus did something amazing. And so for all of you right now who are like that, where you feel like your jars are just empty, there's nothing there. I'm here to tell you that God could do wonderful things in your life. That God could fill you, that he could give you, you know, you think your life is good now, wait till you follow him. Wait till you obey him. Wait till you yield your life to God. And then all of a sudden, this wine, this life that you thought was great, is like, oh, this is bad. You know what God did? Wow, this is great. This is great. The only thing we have to do is we have to empty ourselves in order to let God fill you. And like I said, when I was prayed for, it was almost like, you know, this jolt of energy where I was ready to go. You know, I had no idea that that was going to happen. But it took me to that point where my jars were empty. There was nothing inside left till I cried out to God and God sent two wonderful people to help minister to me, to pray for me, to break that stronghold um, in my life. I didn't expect it, but it took that. Because, you know, I could be pretty stubborn. Because I'm, I'm that kind of guy that, okay, the gas is on empty, but, hey, there's a little bit more in the tank. If I've got a little bit more in the tank, you know, that's good enough. But I had nothing left in my jars. And you might be there too. But I just hope that you leave encouraged, knowing that Jesus could fill that. But not only does he fill it with just water, he changes it to the best wine anyone at that banquet ever tasted. If you give him that chance. And this is what I want you to do. You know, if you are at that point right now, I just want you to sit quietly sometime during this week and just ask God to come and fill your water jars. Fill your water jars. You know, you might have to confess that, hey God, you know, I've been trying to do it all on my own and I didn't need you. But get to that point where you say, God, I yearn for you in the night, and I yearn for you in the morning. I need you. I can't do it on my own. And watch what he'll do. He'll come, and he'll fill that. He'll give you strength and energy that you thought you never had. And it's not from you. It's strength from him. And so I hope that you leave with hope, knowing that he's going to fill your uh, tank or your soul with the best wine that you could ever experience. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some people here right now who are just like me.
Father, whose tanks were just empty. And they were just trying to see how far they could go on an empty tank before the car stopped working altogether. And Father, I pray for anybody here who's like that, who's feeling that right now, especially the mothers here who just feel completely overwhelmed with life and the schedule. Father, that they would turn towards you. Father, that we would all repent from our works and for us to try to take things into our own hands and try to operate in our own power and just repent from that and confess that to you. And Father, we do, for those of us who have been there, Father, we confess that trying to do it on our own and not relying on you, that was wrong. We were making our own power an idol Will we worship that? Will we put more trust in ourselves, in our strength, in our ability, Father, to organize and take care of things than we did on you? And so, Father, we confess that and ask that you would forgive us for that. But, Father, we also ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. That your Spirit would make his presence in our lives so unmistakably real that, Father, that we have to believe that it was you. And, Lord, I know that at the end of this passage, after the disciples saw this, this, they believed. And so, Father, we know that sometimes you allow us to have our tanks run empty so you could fill them so we can believe in you you. And Father, I believe in your power to restore, to give strength to people because I've seen it in my life this week. And Father, for those who you know, have trouble believing that, Father, I pray that you help them in their unbelief. Father, that you would just hear their simple cries for help, that you would touch them that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that you could let, would you let them know that, Father, that you could do extraordinary things with what we might think is just ordinary. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you're not going to leave us with empty tanks. But, Father, that you promised that you would come in and strengthen us and fill us if we'd asked you. So, Lord, we cry out to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen.